It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. This is Bloomberg Law with June Grosso from Bloomberg Radio. Jonathan Mitchell is something of a hero among conservatives in Texas. He was the lawyer behind that state's strict abortion law that used an inventive tactic allowing private citizens to seek $10,000 bounties on anyone who helps a woman get an abortion. Here's Mitchell on the show Washington Watch in April, touting how the law prevents abortion providers from taking their cases to federal court. We had to change the tactics that we were using and do more to just box out the federal judiciary from even having jurisdiction to consider the cases, and that's what Texas did. Now Mitchell has set his sights on another culture war issue, this time targeting gay rights by making it harder to get life-saving drugs to prevent HIV. Joining me is Bloomberg legal reporter Eric Larson, who talked to Mitchell. Tell us who Jonathan Mitchell is. So Jonathan Mitchell is the Republican former Solicitor General of Texas. So he's well known in conservative circles. He's been involved in a lot of high profile uh, lawsuits. And he's also known in Texas and I guess nationally for helping write part of SB8, which is a Texas law that was controversial as an anti-abortion law, banned abortion after six weeks. And his contribution was to create the enforcement mechanism for allowing private citizens to seek $10,000 bounties on people suspected of violating that law. So he's worked closely with the Republican lawmakers there in Texas and also national legal groups. So now he's setting his sights on HIV drugs? Yeah, you know, he actually filed a lawsuit back in 2020 um, over this, but it's just now sort of moving ahead here. But there was a hearing in federal court in Fort Worth, Texas, on his motion for summary judgment and the government's cross motion for summary judgment in his case in which he's trying to overturn a provision of the Affordable Care Act for preventive services. So his lawsuit takes aim really at the entire preventive services mechanism that covers a wide range of things from polio vaccines to pre-screenings for pregnant women and children to screenings for cancer, all kinds of preventive services that are covered at no cost 
under the Affordable Care Act. But in the lawsuit, he takes specific aim at a drug called PrEP, which prevents HIV infection, sort of a groundbreaking drug that was created about a decade ago that has helped reduce the spread of HIV and as of last year has been added to that preventive services list. So he's also taking aim specifically at PrEP under the Religious Freedom Restoration Act. Why is he aiming at this drug that's life-saving? His clients are a few Christian-owned companies and some individuals who are Christian who say that the preventive services provision in the Affordable Care Act because PrEP is covered in this, they believe that buying a health care plan or offering a health care plan required to cover this drug at no cost makes them complicit in what they say is homosexual behavior and that it violates their religious freedom. He's going with more than that one argument based on religious rights. There are several claims in the complaint, and one of them, as they mentioned, the religious freedom claim takes specific aim at PrEP, but the other claims say that the entire preventive services provision is unconstitutional because the medical experts that create the list of everything that's covered under it are not properly confirmed by the Senate. He says that they have so much power and so much authority over these plans and what is and isn't covered that the list should only be created by someone who's confirmed by the Senate. They argue that violates the Constitution, um, the Appointments Clause, by giving too much power to an unconfirmed official. Is that the real fight, or is it a fight against contraception and treatments for transgender people as well as these HIV drugs? Well, it really is a a two-pronged attack here. They're They are trying to, these plaintiffs and uh, their lawyer are trying to overturn the entire preventive services mandate, Uh, but theoretically they can lose on that but still win on this claim specifically taking aim at PrEP. Um, But even though they don't have a religious objection or a moral objection to all of those other preventive services, they want that to go away because they you know, they they say that it, the list isn't created by someone who's confirmed by the Senate, but also they argue that it makes the, the plans too expensive, you know, spreading around the cost of all these preventive services. Of course, the idea, the government says this list, um, these preventive services are free, but that save, will save money down the road by preventing serious illnesses that could cost a lot more money down the road. And by the way, they make the same argument about PrEP, that it's a relatively low-cost drug taken daily that can prevent serious illnesses that end up costing a lot more money down the road um, if someone contracts HIV. So, and as you mentioned, contraception, currently that is not, that was part of the original lawsuit. Um, It currently is not part of it, but they're going to probably add it back on. Uh, But yes, they have a a religious objection to contraception and they're aiming to get that taken, taken off as well. Uh, So it it potentially could have pretty far-reaching impact with lawsuits. Is Mitchell just a lawyer representing his clients who happen to be conservative Christians, or is he a true believer, I guess? I would say it's a little bit of both. He seems to be a true believer, clearly, in the conservative cause of reducing sort of the power and the reach of government and things like that. I did not get the impression that he was pushing the the particular religious agenda himself. He really did portray it as him taking on these clients who had these beliefs. But it is worth noting that he is working on a lot of these cases that have a similar theme of trying to 
rein in the reach of protections for the LGBTQ community, particularly after the Supreme Court's landmark Bostock ruling that prohibited discrimination against LGBTQ people. They have several lawsuits pending in other cases that are trying to have a religious carve-out for those in various ways. And he's also affiliated with an organization called America First Legal, which of course was set up by some former Trump administration folks like Steve Miller and Mark Meadows, sort of become the conservative answer to the ACLU and filed these lawsuits against the Biden administration trying to wave off these progressive rules and laws. And the judge Mitchell filed this case with is one of the most conservative judges in the country. That is correct. He um, is the same judge who ruled uh, that the Affordable Care Act is unconstitutional uh, back in 2018 before that went to the Supreme Court um, and, of course, the Supreme Court for the second time upheld it. I, I think it's safe to say that he leans toward seeing it from the side of view of the, the Republicans who often find themselves before his court. Thanks so much, Eric. That's Bloomberg legal reporter Eric Larson. It can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. Athletes, actors, artists. But what about the people behind the scenes? You know, the ones who make it all happen. The lighting engineers, the sideline photographers, the caterers. They're small business masterminds. And if there's one thing they have in common, it's making their money work harder. That's why they have a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, where they are now earning a generous 5% annual percentage yield. Yes, 5% APY. Making your money work as hard as you do, that's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank, member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. It was the first time abortion rights were on the ballot since the Supreme Court struck down Roe v. Wade and a woman's constitutional right to abortion. And voters overwhelmingly backed a measure protecting abortion rights in Kansas, a truly red state. Donald Trump won there by 15 points, and there are 350,000 more registered Republicans than Democrats. But last night's vote wasn't even close. Turnout was huge, with 900,000 people showing up to vote on a Tuesday in the middle of August. President Biden hailed the Kansas vote. The voters of Kansas sent a powerful signal 
that this fall, the American people will vote to preserve and protect the right and refuse to let them be ripped away by politicians. In a decisive vote, in a decisive victory, voters made it clear that politicians should not interfere with the fundamental rights of women. The president also signed an executive order yesterday that lays the groundwork for Medicaid to help women seeking abortions travel between states to obtain access to the procedure. Executive order makes sure health care providers comply with federal law so women don't face delays or denials of medically necessary care. Joining me is reproductive rights expert Mary Ziegler, a professor at UC Davis Law School. The first time abortion was directly on a U.S. ballot since the Supreme Court's Dobbs decision, what does it mean that it won so overwhelmingly? I mean, I think that it it goes to show that, um, one, that the polling before Dobbs was accurate in the sense that most Americans wanted to maintain abortion rights, and also that those polls don't always track the partisan lean in the state. So you may have states that are going to continue to vote for Republicans, but that don't want to have bans on abortion. So I think it's an important reminder that we sometimes have to disaggregate partisanship and views on abortion. There's not always, you know, perfect correlation. And more Republicans voted in the primary than Democrats. It was expected that more Republicans would vote than Democrats. That was why they scheduled the vote during the primary. What was surprising was that so many Republicans voted no on the amendment. So let's talk about President Biden signed a new executive order meant to safeguard abortion rights. But is this just window dressing, symbolic? It's another order studying what can be done? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot. It's not really window dressing entirely. Um, I think it's more... Um, you know, we've seen the Biden administration, to be fair to the Biden administration, actually putting teeth into, you know, into its initiatives. And so I think it's too it's too soon to say if it's just window dressing, given that there actually has been some enforcement. But it, it's too early to know exactly what that's going to look like. Is there anything else the president can do right now? There are lots of things the president can do. It's more just... And I mean, by the president, I mean the Biden administration, broadly speaking, like the Department of Justice, not just Biden himself. I think that obviously the Biden administration has been risk averse in terms of pursuing strategies that may not work legally. And I think that's really the challenge for the administration, you know, how much risk they're willing to assume. There are definitely steps that are available. The Justice Department is suing Idaho over this restrictive abortion law that makes it a felony to perform an abortion in all but very narrow circumstances. So the Biden administration has taken the position that the Emergency Medical Treatment and Labor Act preempts state laws that have very narrow exceptions for the life or health of the mother. And Idaho has an unusually narrow medical emergency exemption. So the Biden administration's position is, one, that this law, EMTALA, prescribes a standard of care for doctors treating patients who are in labor, and two, that any state law that has a narrower definition of medical emergency is basically blocked by that federal law. So we've seen variations of this. Actually, Texas is suing the Biden administration, saying essentially that its position on EMTALA is wrong and that Texas is free to have whatever emergency exceptions it wants, including none at all. The Biden administration is now going on the offensive, saying essentially that Idaho's law does violate the 
supremacy clause of the Constitution because it conflicts with a federal statute on abortion. Attorney General Garland said the supremacy clause is a decision made in the Constitution of the United States. Federal law invalidates state laws that are in direct contradiction. Is the Justice Department on solid ground here? I mean, it's it's going to be disputed. Um, We have a preview from Texas's suit. Texas has taken the position essentially that EMTALA doesn't actually tell doctors what they need to do in terms of caring for patients. EMTALA, just by by way of background, was designed to stop the practice of patient dumping. So essentially low-income patients would show up at the hospital, at the emergency room with like a knife in their back or and labor and doctors would find out they didn't have insurance or the ability to pay and they would transfer them to other hospitals. And frequently that would result in increased morbidity and mortality for those patients. Texas's position essentially is that EMTALA was never intended to improve the standard of care for patients. And relatedly that the exceptions that are carved out in EMTALA, the definition of emergency, would make, as Texas puts it, a hospital into an abortion clinic. It's really not clear to me that the exemptions are very broadly drawn, but that's Texas's argument. I think the Justice Department's argument is strong, but, you know, EMTALA doesn't explicitly say that it lays out a new standard of care for patients. And you're dealing ultimately with what the judiciary is going to say about this. And we know that the judiciary has been pretty hostile to abortion rights in recent months and years. So that that, of course, has to be factored into the calculation as well. Why Idaho? Aren't there other states where abortion bans are just as tough? Or is Idaho's, with the criminal element of it, where a physician can be prosecuted just by showing an abortion has been performed, and then the physician has to defend in court to show that he or she is within the narrow exception? I mean, I think that why Idaho is an interesting question. I mean, I don't I don't know. Um, I think one, as I mentioned, Idaho has a very narrow exception. So it does not have any kind of exception beyond the life of the mother. It's also worth emphasizing that Idaho Republicans in their recent platform have called for the abolition of all exceptions. And so the the politics of this may differ in Idaho than elsewhere because the Biden administration can talk about the fact that Republicans in Idaho are not just defending very narrow exceptions. They're calling for the elimination of those exceptions altogether. So I read that for the exception to go into effect in Idaho, basically a doctor has to decide that a woman's at death's door. Right. That's correct. Yeah. Also, doesn't the Idaho law enable a lot of prosecutions because prosecutors can just file the case and then the physician has to go to court to defend himself or herself. Yeah, and I mean, obviously what would happen in that situation is is not, I mean, that would happen, but in many instances we know from what's already happening that doctors just are going to turn patients away because if they're not sure if the patient is, you know, close enough to death to receive care, they're not going to treat and they're going to send patients home to get sicker And in some instances, those patients will die or have, you know, irreversible medical consequences because they didn't receive treatment in time. It's not just the case that doctors are going to get sued or in the case of Idaho, also criminally prosecuted. It's also the case that they will just not provide care in the first place. I'm wondering if another reason the uh, Justice Department chose Idaho is because it's different from Texas is in the Fifth Circuit, 
where you have the most conservative circuits in the country, whereas Idaho's in the Ninth Circuit, which is one of the more mm-hmm. liberal circuits. That could be consequential. Obviously, it depends on if this is resolved in, in the U.S. Supreme Court. But yeah, you're right that that might have also factored into the Biden administration's calculations, in addition to the things that make Idaho attractive from the standpoint of kind of talking points and the actual structure of the law. We've talked before about medication abortions, and demand for abortion pills is surging now. It's still legal in most states to receive abortion medication by mail. But are more states trying to prevent that as well? Um, yeah, well, I mean, states had already, prior to having abortion bans, tried to ban telehealth abortions. And then many of these state bans, you know, cover medication abortion as well as any other kind of abortion procedure. We know that a lot of states are in special session or are going to have further legislation emerging in regular session. And we may expect to see more direct addressing of medication abortion there. But part of this is just because the laws that we've seen emerge so far are basically laws that were, you know, passed in years when anti-abortion groups weren't expecting Roe to be overturned anytime soon. So they were never meant to be the kind of final word on what legislators were going to do. The only way to really protect abortion rights is to have a federal law passed. What are the chances of that at this point? I mean, none at the moment. I mean, Congress is not going to pass a protection for abortion at the moment. You would need to have Democrats not just retain control of the Senate in a hostile environment, but actually gain enough seats that you wouldn't have to worry about the filibuster. Obviously, until the 2022 election, the chances of an abortion bill passing are pretty much zero. And I think given the political climate facing Democrats, it's unlikely that they're going to make gains in the Senate. I think the Democrats would probably be happy if they managed to have a majority in the Senate at all in 2022. So I don't think it's very likely that we're looking at a federal abortion protection in the near term. Even though polling shows that relatively few Americans wanted to see Roe v. Wade overturned, more Americans disapprove than approve of the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, 53 percent to 30 percent, according to an Associated Press NORC Center for Public Affairs research poll that was conducted just about three weeks after the ruling. Thanks so much, Mary. That's Professor Mary Ziegler of UC Davis Law School. And that's it for this edition of the Bloomberg Law Show. Remember, you can always get the latest legal news on our Bloomberg Law podcast. You can find them on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at www.bloomberg.com slash podcast slash law. And remember to tune into the Bloomberg Law Show every weeknight at 10 p.m. Wall Street time. I'm June Grosso, and you're listening to Bloomberg. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. 
Join Bloomberg in San Francisco or virtually on May 7th for The Future Investor, Data-Powered Transformations. This 2024 event series will examine how data is not only playing a pivotal role in investment decisions, but serves as a driving force behind the construction of innovative, investable enterprises. This series is proudly sponsored by Invesco QQQ. Register at BloombergLive.com slash Future Investor slash radio.